0: From our changing bodies to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and ageing at work and in society, my mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and today we're going to be talking about movement. I think there's none of us that can't say other than we know we need to move and probably know we need to move more than we do. So I'm delighted today to have on the show a special guest, Paula James. She is a teacher of movement to men and women over 40, and really is committed to making sure that we can move comfortably and remain active as we get older. Welcome to the show, Paula. Thank you very much, Clarissa. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm delighted to have you here. Tell me a little bit about your own journey and how you came to be working with movement in people
1: who are in midlife and beyond. Thank you. I I wasn't, I didn't start out in this direction at all. Um, it was a minor vehicle accident that left me with 10 years of low back and neck pain. And I made the rounds of health practitioners um, looking for some relief and a solution. And, and I still hurt all the time. It was a few months of a regular yoga practice that really helped me turn the corner. And after 10 years of hurting, I, I just didn't anymore. And so that really got my attention. Well, what do we know? Because I had been seeing people about muscles and, you know, I'd, I'd seen chiropractors and massage and PTs and doctors, but I hadn't looked at, well, what am I doing? How am I organizing myself when I sit? How am I moving around in the world? And so when I looked at, well, what could I do in my daily activities then, and, and how am I organizing my body when I do things, that was when when my whole experience shifted. And so I got very interested in, well, what do we know about movement and alignment and, and what people can do themselves? And so I quit my day job and I went off to yoga teacher training and very soon after that, I started training in the Feldenkrais method. That was in 2001 that I, um, that I went off to teacher training. And, and just ever since then, I've been attending a lot of different programs on, on movement, on alignment, on, um, on what we know about anatomy and learning and changing habits.
0: That's fascinating. And I mean, You talk about yoga, but also about Feldenkrais. Tell my listeners a little bit about Feldenkrais, because many are probably familiar with yoga, but Feldenkrais might be a completely new thing for many
1: of them. So one of the beautiful things uh, in the Feldenkrais method is, so it was developed by a man named Moshe Feldenkrais, and someone asked him during a, a lecture class, well, what is the essential feature of humans? And he said his free will. We are the beings who get to make choices. And you increase your human dignity the more that you're living at choice in your life instead of just doing what you're told and instead of staying stuck in the rut of your own habits, right? There are all kinds of ways that you can be stuck and limited. And so it's great that we have habits, right? You don't need to reinvent tying your shoes every morning or brushing your teeth. But all of us have habits, and some of them don't serve us very well. And so it's nice to be able to take a look at what is it that you do, and are there other options? And if you try some of those other options, can you evaluate which ones are working for you and which ones don't? So frequently, it makes a beautiful combination with yoga, because frequently I'll have people try a pose in several different ways. And just ask them to check in for yourself. What's your breathing like when you do it this way? How about if you make a little change? How about something else? What does the tension level feel like in your joints? And just stay on top of um, what is your experience? And can you use your own internal sensations as a gauge for whether or not this is good? The thing that's marvelous as a yoga teacher is that when they use their own internal sensations as a gauge and they go for when the breathing is good and when the tissues feel calm and everything is, it just there's a sense of rightness inside. They look so beautiful from the outside. There's a real integrity and coherence, a real harmony with the line of gravity. And I love that they get there more from, um, from experimentation and playing with variations rather than trying to be obedient to the directions that I give.
0: I think that's really beautiful, Paula, because I've also been a practicing yogi for many, many years, but felt a lot of the time in yoga classes that I was being asked to, you know, do a pose a particular way without much feeling. And it was really only until, until I found a yoga teacher who was probably, you know, really well into her Fifties or sixties herself, and she more watched and guided
1: that I began to feel the poses. It's so important too. One, so I, just backing up briefly. When I was in those ten years of hurting so much, I um, I realized, wow, this is just going on for a long time. And I and I set the intention that well, I would like to map the territory so that when I come out of this, I can be useful to someone else? You know, if I have to go through this very long and difficult experience, could I at least come out of it able to be useful to other people? And so when I finished teacher training, I started teaching right away. And I've been teaching movement classes full-time since 2002. And a lot of the people that were coming to my classes were older, and a lot of them were women. So as I went for more trainings, I looked for Things about um, pelvic diaphragm health and about osteoporosis and arthritis so that I could make sure I was staying useful and relevant to that population. One of the trainings that I went to was in the McGill method, and Stuart McGill is a Canadian who's done a lot of research on low back health and and what actually will help with low back pain. The thing that was fast, one of the things that was fascinating to me in that training is it was the first I'd ever heard that um, we have different skeletal structures. In different genetic groups and of course we're all mostly the same but besides limb length which you you can notice very easily there's also a difference to the depth in the sockets so some groups have fairly shallow sockets at their hip joints and they're the people that squat easily and do splits and can move their legs all around The risk there is that the hip can dislocate more easily, but other groups have deeper hip sockets and they just don't have the range of motion. And if they push for it, they'll actually aggravate the capsule inside the joint. So you can have a perfectly sound, wonderful skeletal structure that is just different than the the genetic group that developed something like yoga or some of the Asian martial arts. And if you push yourself to force your body into the same shapes that those people make quite easily, you can actually damage this marvelous physical structure that you've been gifted.
0: Wow, that's, re- that's just a revelation right there that you said that. I mean, and I'm in that group that can't squat. I can't get both. I've never been able to get ankles, you know, heels onto the floor and squat right down. My body,
1: even though I've practiced yoga for 30 years, I can't do it. Right. And then you can you can look around the room in your yoga class at the people who do it easily. And you can feel that it's some personal failing on your part. And maybe I need to try harder and all those things that don't work. So I just tell my students, if you really want to be able to do those movements, then when you go to the planning meeting before your next incarnation, put that request in. (laughs) I would like to have shallow sockets in this incarnation so that I can do all those movements but you don't have it right now and you're not going to change your skeleton through exercise. No, and I think that's
0: a profound message there, Paula, because I think we are given this kind of overview, aren't we? And particularly women who are coming maybe into having been runners or very sporty or done very little and and yoga and yoga-related exercises become very popular, but then they find that they're much harder. And that might not only be because we're not used to moving like that, but as you said, it might be something, you know, anatomical that's different.
1: Right. And there can be a great celebration in the yoga magazines and calendars of extreme flexibility, but there's a great overlap. You know, if you draw a Venn diagram of the people who have hypermobility and the people who have chronic pain, So if you're going to have that much flexibility, you need a lot of strength to balance it. And what I'm looking at with my my students is not, you know, how can you get into a pose that will let you audition for Cirque du Soleil, but how can you bring your body into balance for you after, you know, if you've been sitting all day, you're going to be long in the back of the hips and short in the front. So can we select poses that help bring you if you imagine like a musical instrument, right, you need, you need your soft tissues to be tuned up. And so if you've been long in the back, short in the front all day, well, then let's use some yoga poses to help bring you a little more length in the front, right? We do some lunges and some gentle back bends, and do some activities that will challenge the glutes and the hamstrings to get to work so that they have, they have a chance to do something. And those tend to have people feeling really good when they finish. They're real sturdy in their own upright structure, and they just feel real confident and balanced in their own physical self. They move with a little more ease and grace. And that's what I'm really looking for, right? How can you move more comfortably in the world? It's just moment to moment.
0: Exactly. And I love that you're talking really about moving with ease and grace and moving clients in that space, surely to think that movement is a source of
1: joy. Exactly. So, so I, I hear folks talk about exercise, you know, how many minutes should you do what exercise and what your heart rate should be. And I feel like, yeah, but do you enjoy that? I mean, is it, is it pleasurable for you? And, I don't have any argument at all with with the benefits for circulation and the heart and all that for doing things. But if you've already had a long work day, to give yourself one should requirement on your list is um, it's just kind of depressing. And if you could have an activity that, that helped you feel a little more at home in your own structure and that helped you feel a little more delight in your day, you know, how, how delicious would that be? I think that sounds absolutely wonderful
0: to me, that sense of having more delight and more joy in movement. And you're right, we spend so much time sitting down. So we want one moment. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about sitting because you mentioned it there in the the shortness of the, of the body in some parts and long in others. Um, sitting's not great, is it, as a, as a
1: posture for too long? Well, so one of the other beautiful things that I got at the McGill training was just the real clarity of, look, there is no one magical sitting position. After 10 or 15 minutes in any position, your muscles will start to get fatigued. So you need three or four good sitting postures that you rotate amongst. But by definition, in sitting, you're going to be short in one area of the hip and long in the other, so it's just marvelous to be able to shift that up. I when I'm working at my laptop, well, um, so first of all, there's no ergonomic way to work at a laptop. You either have the screen up at a good height for your eyes, and then the keyboard is too high, or you have a key, the keyboard at a good height for your hands, and then the screen is too low. So I have a separate keyboard and um, that I plug in. And so I sit down on a stool that's a good height for me and it doesn't have a back to it and it has a cushion, but not extreme. And when I feel like my butt is a little sore from sitting, then I stand up and I love having it be comfortable enough to sit and focus for a while and then not for too long so that I, the way, the height that I have the laptop at to be able to see the screen is actually a good height for me to type when I'm standing. So then I can, then I can stand up and continue to work the setup I have, then I have another screen plugged in that's even higher so I can use that screen when I'm standing so that I can just very easily be alternating between sitting and standing and that having that option of, you know, I can stay right at my workstation and remain focused, but I can shift around quite a bit. I love
0: that. And I think that's even more relevant now, isn't it? There's so many more people work
1: from home. Exactly. And a You're lot of them set up, thought, are we? That they were going to be working from home temporarily, and so they didn't necessarily set up a workstation for nine months of work. And, and we're also socializing from home, so a lot of the Zoom calls for family and talking to friends, and that has you looking at the same lit screen, sitting at the same spot that you were in for work. So there's not there's not even a, a, a refreshing change. For your physical self um, between work and social
0: no and it's I think it's very tiring to sit and look at a screen and I think we all notice that we we stiffen up as the day goes on unless we get up and move and I think in an office environment you know it's a few years since I was in one, we would get up and we'd walk to you know a meeting or you'd walk to go to lunch somewhere. but now I think there's a real temptation isn't there to sit. And, and continue sitting uh, because there's no reason to
1: get up. Right. So if you can give yourself reasons, you can set a timer and, and give yourself. and also, I mean, just very, so we, we talked about how sitting shortens the front of the hips and lengthens the back. So, you know, if every hour, it doesn't have to be extreme, right? You could just stand up. And do a high lunge where you have one foot forward and one foot back, not a deep lunge because that's not good for everybody's hip sockets, but just like a, a long step. And then the leg that's in back, bring that st- bend the front knee a little bit, straighten the back leg, bring that back hip forward slightly. And you'll just ask the front of the hip on that back leg to get a little bit longer than it would be in standing. And you can raise that arm up overhead, if you like, to increase the stretch on that side and then do the other side. And you just give those tissues a chance to say, oh, right, I don't have to be cramped up all day. <laughs> right. So it doesn't it doesn't have to be setting aside 20 minutes or an hour. It it can just be taking two minutes every half hour, every hour to um to to let the tissues get into a slightly different shape. Oh, I think that's fantastic. And just so simple to
0: do that. I love that,
1: Paula. Right. Really simple.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that you've been doing also on that same line a lot of work with neck and shoulders recently, haven't you?
1: Yes. Um, that's I just another
0: area of tension, I think,
1: as we sit, sit and sit more. So that I just finished teaching a six week online course on um and how to release neck and shoulder tension because people are working from home so much. And we looked um, at three different areas. One was, well, how can you improve your overall posture so that you're just not generating tension through your activities through the day? And then what are some quick and effective things you can do to release tension that got caused by stress or overuse? And then how can you distribute movement and effort more evenly through the whole body so that if you have some joints that have been made vulnerable by arthritis or injury or aging, that, that they don't get overworked, that, that all the parts of the body help out. And one of the things that was just beautiful is that the, the participants were really game to the idea that It's the victims who cry out, not the perpetrators. So if the neck and shoulders are having troubles, well, that's who's on the receiving end of the problem, but not necessarily the cause. And so we were able to look at core muscles and the hips and the legs and how are other parts of the body helping to support the head. One of the participants who's had quite a bit of neck and shoulder trouble over the years, uh, I just loved her testimonial at the end. She said, well, now I'm more conscious of using my whole body to support my head rather than just my neck.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, from my own personal experience and, and a lot of women that I know too, is that we have quite weak core muscles. And They, don't, they haven't built up over the years and, and sometimes they, they stay neglected or as we get a bit older, we don't take great care of them. And suddenly, yeah, you're right, there's all this tension but it's often, as you said, it's much lower in the body um, that it's something else is going
1: on, and there too, it's yes, you're right that there can be a lot of disorganization, dysregulation in the core. But what I'm game, what I'm working with people on mostly is, can we improve the quality of teamwork among the core muscles? Because especially for women, if you just do a lot of sit-ups and crunches, you actually dysregulate, right? You're getting the flexors to be stronger in relation to the extensors. And that downward pressure in the abdomen can actually increase dramatically the risk of organ prolapse. So you can realize that you have an issue and then go after solving it with the best will in the world and actually create more troubles for yourselves.
0: Wow. and, And that just
1: flashes in my
0: mind, the way in which a lot of gyms operate, not that they're bad. I mean, in some ways, and I'm sure that if we're younger, we're we're much more resilient. But there's a huge emphasis on these bicycle um, side to side and crunches that are really quite hard to do and put a lot of strain. And sometimes I feel they strain the neck and back even more.
1: Right well and also if you just think about shape if you've been sitting hunched at your computer all day why in the world would you go to the gym and practice crunching <laughs> you're not you're not increasing your your options at all you're just further strengthening that that pattern really of collapse so what you want is to have those core muscles kick in when your spine is long and undistorted so that you're able to be upright and so that your So the function of the core muscles is to stabilize the spine and that's to stabilize the spine as you move the spine through space and to stabilize the spine as you move at the ball and socket joints of the hips and the shoulders. And so those are the sort of core exercises that I'm giving people. Can we, can we bring the core muscles up to a nice tone and then can we challenge them to keep the spine stable while we do slightly more demanding activities? And then, When you are, you know, unloading the dishwasher or bringing in the groceries, you've got a core that knows how to keep the spine stable because that's the problem. Right. You're you're going along and you've been increasing your vulnerabilities over time. And then you do something like reach for your calendar on the other side of the desk. And now something goes. But it, it wasn't just that action. It was all the things that were weakening you systematically up until that point.
0: Yes, of course. And there's very rarely, unless you do a real pulling injury, that you would. But you're right, it's often you wonder, gosh, how did I just tweak that? But but you're right, it's something that's weakened over time, isn't it? Yes. You mentioned, obviously, in in the earlier part, you talked a little bit about osteoporosis and also about pelvic floor. I'd love to touch initially on, on the pelvic floor because you know, so many women coming into midlife and beyond have pelvic floor issues. Uh, I think now I was reading one in four women are having urinary incontinence and one in five bowel incontinence, which isn't a small percentage of women and related to their pelvic floor. How can the types of exercises you work with help support a stronger and and better
1: um, pelvic floor? That's a great question. So one of the trainings that I was very excited to go to is a PT from Montana in the United States, Jan Hulm. and she says that just as there is a rotator cuff for the ball and socket of the shoulder joint, there is a rotator cuff for the ball and socket of the hip joint. And when people start getting into trouble, it's dysregulation of that whole team around the hip socket. And her opinion is that you can hassle babies into toilet training early, but they're really not ready for it until they're standing and walking because they need to have voluntary control of that whole team of muscles. And she sees all that falling apart at the same time later in life. Incontinence issues tend to come also with troubles with balance and also with troubles with walking. So that whole team getting dysregulated, not working so well together, that's when you begin to get those troubles. And so she has a very simple series of gentle exercises you could do at your workstation, you could do on the floor that will help um, bring a little bit of balance, a sense of taking turns back to those team members, which parts of the team work together to contract while other parts are lengthening and then, and then they alternate. And that has been wonderful for, for me um, when I do the, the exercises she recommends for the hips and the abdomen, I just have this whole sense of coherence. Like when I go out for a walk, I feel like all of me goes together. I'm not just this loose federation of parts <laughs> ambling <laughs> down the, down the sidewalk. So, um. Her her take is that uh, a lot of these muscles are she she makes a distinction between postural muscles and movement through space muscles. And she says that it makes sense to stretch and strengthen the movement through space muscles, like you're, you know, moving your arms all around. But the posture muscles, unless you're going to be a contortionist, you don't need them to be especially stretchy. And they're a different different fiber type than the movement through space muscles, and they can already go through all day. So you don't especially need to strengthen them. What you need to strengthen is the communication loop. Does the brain know how to call on them? So, I, so the analogy I use as my class participants is, well, your brain should have all your muscles on speed dial. If you have to go looking for a number, then that you know that's really inefficient, and you're probably not going to in a moment of spontaneous activity. And your brain needs to be talking to them often enough that when a call comes, the, the muscle picks up and it doesn't metaphorically look at the phone and see scam likely. So yeah. you, want, you want there to be some communication. The brain knows how to reach them. The muscles know to answer and they know how to work together. And then like you don't think about every breath you take or your heartbeats or really how to climb stairs unless you're really in trouble. So you want that team just you want the communication system upgraded so that they know how to work together. And then in a moment of activity, like a sneeze, you you have a team that, that can handle it. Yes, of course. And,
0: and of course, that's sometimes the first time in something like a sneeze that women realize that they probably aren't talking and there's some leakage. And they then go into quite... Um, Strong kind of squeezing exercises, don't they? There's a lot of these pelvic floor exercises all about squeezing, but sometimes you're not sure which muscles you're meant to be squeezing.
1: So Jan was just fantastic at clarifying this for me. She said that muscles have three possible tones. They can be high tone, and I think of that like if you are if if you gently bite your teeth together, then your your jaw muscles will be a high tone and they'll be clenching. And muscles can be low tone. And I think of that like if you've been to the dentist and you get shot up with anesthesia, then you might be drooling because you can't even get those muscles to contract. And then they can be at a just right resting tone. And so for the pelvic diaphragm, for the muscles of the hips, for the muscles of the core, anywhere, You don't want to be walking around clenching and you don't want to be walking around with muscles that are totally slack. You want them to be at this nice, responsive, just right. I think of it also as a ready tone. If you're biting your teeth, you're not ready to whistle right, or sing. You're going to have to unclench before you can do that. And the same thing if you're just slack and your jaw hanging open, you're also going to have to do a preparatory movement before you can speak or whistle or sing or anything. But if you're at sort of a a resting, ready tone, then the teeth are close together or lightly touching, the lips are lightly touching, and from there you can go anywhere. And that applies to anything. If you look at the ready position of athletes, you know, the knees are bent, the hips are out, they're real light on their feet, they're able to shift their weight in any direction. And then you look at the slumpy postures of a lot of people when they're standing in line at a store or just out and about anywhere. And they're they're really kind of planted, leaning against their ligaments and some muscles are slack. And if anyone were to bump into them, it would be a real challenge for them to recover. So if you can think more about organizing yourself in a way that you're ready to move in any direction, either because you chose to or because you need to recover from having been disturbed, then that's a nice, um, it's going to take a little more effort than leaning against a wall or leaning against your ligaments. But it actually is the work that your muscles were designed to do. And if you are shifting your weight and walking, moving, it's not going to be burdensome for them because you won't be asking any one muscle to keep any one shape for too long. So Jan's work was fantastic about how can you help bring that whole pelvic rotator cuff team into a ready state so that the muscles are not clenching and they're not slack. And that was some of the troubles that she's found is that um, one of the references in her book says that actually a lot, and I I haven't read it in a while, so I don't remember the exact numbers, but there are a significant number of older men who go to the doctor thinking that they have prostate problems and all they have is the pelvic floor is too tight and so blood flow is restricted. And so they're getting pain because tissues that don't get enough oxygen report as pain. But all they've got is that they're too tight. That's
0: fascinating because, I mean, that is becoming such an issue for midlife men. But there is another um, way to look at some of that, which in some ways must be hugely mentally relieving for so many men to think possibly it's not my prostate, but something else, but just these tight muscles.
1: Right. So you want to have the muscles be able to take turns. When am I short? When am I long? When am I working? When am I relaxing? And how do I relate as part of a team?
0: I love that. And and I think that that gives people much more hope to be able to work with pelvic floor, because I think they're always on these squeezy apps or they're given lots of gadgets to work with, but they're not easy to work with. And we're not quite sure what we're doing. But if we can be more in a ready state through simple exercises It must be so liberating for these women
1: it's really is nice and some of the work that jan did was working with older people in assisted living facilities and so she wanted to have something that was simple enough that even people with some cognitive challenges and movement challenges could really follow along so she's got there there are more things in the program but the really basic part of it is a very simple external internal rotation of the legs in coordination with the breathing that um, is quite effective. And what was also lovely, because you how often do you hear this from a PT? She recommended, when I, I took the training with her, I think in 2009, so a while ago now, she said she recommends no more than 10 repetitions of this activity, no more than three times a day. She says this is about, improving communication it's not about badgering yourself
0: so that's fantastic and very different from these incredibly um pushing mentality that's sitting around there that i hear from friends of mine who work as osteopaths or chiropractors say i'm getting a lot of severely injured people because they pushed it too hard in the gym and
1: their their body isn't ready for that type of movement they're not (laughs) strong enough And that takes us back to the beginning of the conversation, that you want to be really putting a priority on what is the quality of your own internal experience. And part of that is, is this a pleasure for you? Because if you are just enduring this activity, then that's a problem. And why are you bringing more of that quality into your life?
0: Well, I don't know why you'd want to do that because that's almost the opposite of where we want to be, because I think you and I have talked before about sort of the link between how we move and also what it means inside our minds, because it isn't just our physical body that's moving. It's also the mental side of it.
1: Right. And and it is your, so it's all tied together, right? If it's pretty easy for you to stand up from a chair and move your arm and walk across the room, You'll have one experience of your own self and your, your sense of agency in the world, your ability to do things. And if some of those just small daily activities become very difficult, then you begin to have a different perception of who you are as a person and what you're able to do. And are you able to act on the things that you want to do? So bringing more ease to those little gestures and activities in everyday life is actually tremendous and huge because it helps improve your own confidence in your own self, in your pleasure in being here, in your ability to move about, to be present to yourself and other people.
0: Exactly. I mean, I just see that that is, that's just such a beautiful all round and puts movement as part of actually all of ourselves rather than just a sort of separate activity from the whole.
1: Right. And what I love seeing in in the participants in my classes is just the increase in their self-confidence, right? Because it's not about being obedient to my directions. I'll give them directions and I really encourage them to follow because if you're stuck in a rut, then just doing what your own habits are doesn't necessarily expand You know, your world. So, you want to follow the directions as well as you can, just so that you do something different than your limited range of choices you're in the habit of. But then it's always a question of well, now you evaluate. Is this something that you find useful, or did you want to just leave it and try something else? And so, when they begin to have confidence in their ability to perceive and to evaluate, that really shifts the sense of self, right? Because then they're not dependent on reading the next newspaper article or the next doctor to tell them something, but they they begin to know, well, but I can try it or I can take a look at it and I can make a choice as to whether or not it's good for me. Because that's what matters, right? It's not how many minutes do you do what, but is it actually serving you?
0: Exactly. And I think that's for me, fits into the things that my listeners will know I'm talking a lot about, which is your self-awareness, coming into a different relationship with your whole menopause experience, which is more than your symptoms, and putting yourself into a space, as you said, not having to go to my doctor or rely on someone to tell me, but I'm feeling and knowing myself much better. Uh, And that is... The ability to have more confidence and, in, in many
1: cases, more advocacy in, in what happens to you in this time of life. Exactly. And if you do, and if anytime I have a student say, Well, do you think I should go to the doctor? Yes, of course, because they have diagnostic tools I don't have. But it doesn't necessarily mean everything they recommend is going to be right for you. And so, if you try it out, you want to be able to go back to the doctor and say, Okay, I tried that, but this is what happened, and I, that's not good for me. So, what, um, what else? Right? You don't you you don't want to only just be doing what you're told, regardless of what your experience is. You want to be very clued into, well, is this great idea actually working for me? Because it might not. No, it might not. And I think then you're coming to
0: tune what we, feels good, and that's what we want is is joy and and a sense of grace and feeling that we're in control at this time of life. And I, I love that this is kind of. So your whole work links into
1: that wider philosophy. Right, which takes us right back to the beginning too, right? We're the, the beings who have free will. And it's so important as you get, and especially as you're getting older, if you're finding that some of your physical abilities are diminishing, in what ways throughout your day are you still experiencing agency? In what ways are you still writing your own story and making your own choices? Even if you need some help, with some of the physical activities you used to do on your own, in what small ways throughout the day are you still at a moment of choice making a decision? Because the more small moments in which you cultivate that, then the more you keep that a possibility for bigger topics in your life.
0: Absolutely. And I think that, as you said, gets more and more important as we go into aging, because we do lose our physical ability to move over time and we want to be able to control as much of it without needing assistance because that takes away a lot of our sense of agency and our sense of confidence. So the more we can manage to do till we're much older is, is really a great goal to have as
1: well. Well, and even when you, so even when you need assistance, right? One of my students um, had the experience of falling in a grocery store. So she was on the ground and what frequently happens when someone is down is that other people rush in to pull them back up on their feet. And what I loved when she was telling the story is she remained in control of the situation the entire time. And before she let anybody touch her, she's like, wait, I'm going to need two people and I'll tell you when I'm ready. And so even though she was down on the ground requiring assistance, she was the director of who helped and how and what happened. And so that is also the spirit, right, of, well, even in even in needing and accepting help, are you still the one making choices?
0: Exactly. And I think that that it retains a huge sense of dignity because you're still able to do it. And that, I think that becomes increasingly important as we age, that we still have the ability to act like like this amazing client of yours did, and therefore she's in control and she's not um, pulled around by other people. She's still maintaining that she is here, she's got free will, and there's a sense of
1: grace in that. Yeah, in a sense of self-authority, right, and sovereignty. I'm the one in charge of this. Definitely.
0: De- and that that is the whole thing, I think, about menopause and as we get older. That we have that we're in control much more than we realize and and I love that your work weaves that so much into the whole bigger picture,
1: yes, really, the whole of the work is about cultivating that, helping people really cultivate that ability, that sense in themselves, so that that is that is a larger and larger part of their lived experience
0: that is so fantastic, Paula. How can people find out about the work that you do and get in touch with you?
1: Wonderful. I have a website, artofmovingwell.com, and a Facebook group, which I'll give you links for. And, uh, and the Facebook group is, is really a lot of what we've been talking about here. It's a celebration of movement and just sort of joy and delight at being in the physical world. Um, and I will be teaching another round. I'll be, I'll be leading that neck and shoulders course three times each year. And there will be another round of that beginning in mid-February. That's fantastic, Paula. I loved hearing
0: your, your whole approach and how you came to this work. And I'm going to make sure that to the listeners that those links are going to be in the show notes so people can connect with you and work with you. Thank you so much, Paula, for coming on the show and sharing
1: your wisdom Close. and
0: your passion.
1: Thank you very much. You're a very skillful interviewer. And this uh, whole show concept is just a wonderful service. I love what you're doing here, what you offer. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions why do I feel this way thriving through menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom you matter to me your feedback opinions and stories matter to me and I would love to hear from you so drop me an email clarissa at clarissachristiansen.com I genuinely want your feedback in your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who is, feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, clarissachristiansen.com. You can find free resources and you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening.
1: Whatever you're saving up for. A CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 5.50% APY on an 8-month CD special or 5.00% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC.
0: That's cbp.gov slash careers slash usbp.